Yeah, so we're back in Ephesians, week two in Ephesians. Um, if you were around last week, Dan kicked us off on this series uh, where we're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And uh, we've got a, a lot ahead of us. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic series as we uh, dive deeper into this book together. I um, Just to kind of start us off, I think the... Um, I've heard it described before that if the New Testament was like a mountain range, um, a mountain range of gospel truth. Basically, the New Testament, if you don't know your Bible particularly well, is, is from the time when, when Jesus walked on earth and, and, and Jesus' ministry, and then, it, and then it talks about his death and resurrection and what that means for us and how that, that impacts us and the establishment of the church and, and instruction around that. But it's, but it's the gospel. It's the good news that he has rescued us. We were dead in our sins, he's made us alive. Um, and that's, that's like the mountain range of uh, the New Testament. But there are three peaks, three mountains that raise their head above other mountains. They would be 2 Corinthians verse 5, Romans 8, and Ephesians 1, where the gospel is just so vividly uh, packaged together in one chapter that you can read that chapter and understand the gospel. They're like mountains that raise their head above other things. So we're, we're going to spend another week in Ephesians 1, we looked at a lot of stuff last week, but we're going to be uh, second week in Ephesians 1. I'm going to be looking at the second part of uh, these verses. Well, I think uh, the book of Ephesians is going to be really helpful for us as we look at the way in which the gospel outworks for us privately. You know, we, we, we're saved by grace and a number of things in which we've, we've looked at. I read a, a quote recently, John Stott, talking about uh, Ephesians, said it's, it's impossible to read this book and have a private a privatised view of the gospel. The gospel is for the church. It's about the way in which we're caught up together as a, as a family of believers, as, uh, as a people of God and what he's done for us. So a number of things for us to, to grapple with as a church family together as we continue on this journey. And it's also fallen quite nicely, whether by God's sovereign hand or uh, Luke and Dan's excellent planning, that we are towards the end of a week of prayer and fasting as a church family. There are a number of opportunities throughout this week to, to pray for a number of things. And so um, this morning, we're going to look at the second part of chapter one, which is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church and uh, look at how, uh, you know, what, what we can learn from that and, and the kind of things that we should be praying for ourselves and encouraging ourselves in uh, from verses 15 onwards. So I'm going to read this in, in stages, just take a, a meander through uh, the latter part of this chapter and draw out a couple of things. So first of all, I want to, I want to read uh, from verse 15. So for this reason, Paul says, all the stuff that's gone before, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Let's just pause there for a moment. Before we get into Paul's prayer, this struck me. It's one of those things where Paul says, here's a couple of things that I give thanks for. Here's a couple of things that I, I've seen within your community. I've, I've heard of, actually. I've heard of uh, that is happening amongst you, and I'm rejoicing. I'm giving thanks to God. Two things. Firstly, faith in Jesus. I can see that you are living in faith for Jesus. I've heard stories of people turning to Jesus. We've heard that too, haven't we? We've had a, a number of people recently that have stood here and, and declared their faith in Jesus. I was dead in my sins, but he's made me alive. And then, they, then we baptise them here. Wonderful. We rejoice, don't we? 
we rejoice in faith in Jesus, when we hear stories of faith in Jesus, when we hear stories of people putting their trust or continuing to trust Jesus in the midst of huge circumstances, it's faith. And we say we rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, uh, Paul highlights your love for the saints, your love for one another. Not your love for everybody in the world, but your love for one another is what he wants to highlight. He wants to highlight the fact that you have cared well for one another. You have, you have really loved one another well. These, I believe, will have been simple things, simple stories of, um, of one anothering, uh, simple stories of connection, of looking out for people. I kind of feel the same thing myself. I was, I was remembering recently, I bumped into somebody from our church family at Sainsbury's, and I remember thinking about them before I bumped into them, thinking, I haven't seen them for a long time. I know they've been going through a difficult time and I just bumped into them and they said I've just come from coffee with Paul and you know something inside me like rejoiced that, that, that there was a you know that was something I wasn't aware of I didn't know anything about that meeting I didn't know anything about Paul's interaction with this person but I rejoiced because it's a subtle simple thing we see the, the, the love for one another and I think Paul here just wants to highlight that for us to, to keep going with that I think he gives thanks to God because it's not a natural position it's not a natural thing for us to do. We might, we might do that to a point where, you know, because we're good people, but ultimately uh, we need his spirits empowering to help us to do that well as a community, to, to put our faith in Jesus and to care and love God's people well. But they're authentic moments of what it means to be a church family. So let's keep on going with that. Paul's highlighted that. There's a number of things we could highlight across this church family. Let's keep going with it. Let's carry on. Verse 17. Paul's prayer. So he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pause. What a prayer. What a prayer. All the things I can get involved in, all the things that I can practically pray for you, church family. First and foremost, I want to pray this. I pray that you would know God better. I pray that there would be a spirit of revelation inside your heart that, would, that you would just know him better. You would know him deeper. You would know him closer. You'd know him more personally. That, that, that is my greatest prayer. And I'm going to keep on asking for that, Paul says. That's my prayer for you, church family. It's the thing of first concern. Friends, I was um, thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. Remembering a time, Evan and I went to, to Wembley to watch England play football, and uh, we were really high up, really, really high up. And uh, Evan's got a particular interest in a, in a specific player, and so he was shouting rather loud for this player um, to respond to him. And there was a moment. I didn't see it myself, but he saw it, where this player, in response to his shout, turned and waved. Now for Evan, that is a connection, he now knows that player more than he knew him before <laughs> that occasion. Now, he can read about this player. You know, he can read stories about this player. He can watch this player on telly every week. Uh, and he feels that he knows him deeper. And friends, I, I, I was reflecting on what it means for us to know God. And I was just conscious that I think there's a number of ways in which we can consider our relationship with God. And one of the things that I think, one of the dangers for us is that we can consider that from a distance. 
we can consider that from I know a lot about this person. Even with the Queen more recently. You know, people have been mourning the death of the Queen and they've been saying things like, I feel like I knew her. You know, she's always been there. There's, there's a, I know loads of stories. I've met people who've met her. I've heard of their accounts about her. Uh, really quite funny stories, some of them, aren't they? I feel like I know her, but I don't. And I, friends, there's a, there's a real warning, I think, from Scripture that, 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 that God has invited us into something much deeper. Not a rose-ed, Wembley Stadium-type relationship. Not a shout from a distance and occasionally they might catch my attention type relationship. Not a, I've heard other people's stories, but a personal relationship, a deep relationship with the living Jesus is what we're called to. We uh, alluded to it at the start, Paul, I think, shared about the fact that the, the, the Spirit has been poured out. That story when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he said, it's better that I go. You know, I've been walking with you, friends. I've spent years with you, walking intimately with you, but it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit. So friends, we're recipients of that. That type of relationship is what we were invited to. The Spirit would reveal Jesus in a way that even walking with him couldn't, that we might know him intimately. Jesus, too, uh, speaks of this moment where, uh, where, we, where we, we come to meet him at the end. And he says there might be some who have done a number of things in his name, people who have been very busy in his name. And he says, I don't know you. And you might say, well, of course you know me. You're, you're, you're Jesus, you know everyone. He said, well, no, but I don't, I don't know you. It's terrifying. But it kind of explains, Jesus is saying, look, there is, there's a way in which we can go through the motions here that is not what is intended for the Christian life. And Paul says, but first and foremost, before anything else, church family, I pray that you just know God. And I pray again and again and again, know God. Know him deeply, by his spirit. May he reveal himself to you. May you have an intimate relationship with him. May it be yours and not anybody else's. No God. There's a promise, too, that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Friends, this isn't like, you know, if I'm worthy enough, this is a promise that he has given us. He loves to dwell with his people. And we are called to know him deeply. So here's three uh, specific things that Paul is going to pray for the Ephesian church to know. We'll look at the first couple. Let's uh, continue this prayer. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let's pause there. Two things out of three that he wants to pray for. First is this. He wants us to know deeply the hope that we're called to. The hope that we're called to in Jesus. This is a, a wonderful word, but one that we perhaps use quite differently, I think, to how the Bible uses it. Hope is more an aspirational word. There's a number of things that I hope for. I hope, uh, you know, that we might finish on time today, or, you know, something like that. You know, that's aspirational. That's beyond my control. And, uh, and to be honest, <laughs> from previous experience, it might never happen. But, but I hope, anyway, that that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is much more firm than that. Biblical hope is based on the characteristic of God. It's based on the fact that he is faithful. It's built on his character. And so knowing this hope, being convinced of this hope, knowing this hope deeply within our hearts, as the Spirit reveals, 
to us is about securing us in this. It's about knowing our position now. It's about how we engage with life now, knowing that we have a future eternal hope in him. There's a number of things that we could talk about with hope. We could draw out in Romans 5 verse 5, for example, it talks about suffering and and perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and and hope. It says in, in those verses, it says that hope will not put you to shame. Hope will not put you to shame. What does it mean by that? It means, Paul is saying to the Romans, that, that you know, when you put your hope in Jesus, you can never be put to shame. Like, you're never going to get to the point where you go, well, I was really holding on to this, and now I've been let down. That doesn't happen. That's not that kind of hope. Other versions say, hope will not disappoint. You will not be disappointed in this hope. Whatever is going on now, whatever you're kind of managing now, whatever you are persevering in, it's building hope, and that will never put you to shame. Never. The Bible describes this moment where the the disciples, again, those who'd walked intimately with Jesus, find themselves in the the graveyard, and and they're they're looking around for hope. And they, they use this wonderful phrase where it says, we had hoped. We'd hoped that things would have ended differently. Jesus has been dead now for some days. And we'd hoped that this would have been different. We'd hoped that our life would have looked different by now. We'd we'd hoped that the things that he said were going to come true. We'd hoped. And Jesus meets with them. He reveals himself to them. He points in scripture to the promises of God that will never be let down. They were hopeless, but they left filled with hope. And, And I think Paul here is saying, here's one of the things I really want to pray for you, church family, that you would know hope. You would know the eternal hope that you have in Jesus. You'd be secure in that hope. You'd be unbudging in that hope. Because that's what he's called you to. The promises of God are sure. And that's a great place to pray from, isn't it? The second part of that verse, it talks about the riches of his inheritance. So in the first part of the passage, Dan last week talked about the first uh, 14 verses. And in there, it talks specifically about the inheritance that we have in God. It's mind-blowing, but, but by his grace, we have been caught up into something that he has won for us. And we have an inheritance in him that cannot, that cannot be snatched away. That we are heirs with Christ because of what he has done. That's something that is just mind-blowing that we read from those earlier verses. That we have benefited fully from his victory. That, that we are recipients of that. But then Paul, in, uh, in this prayer, says that I want you, church family, to know this, the riches of his inheritance. The riches of his inheritance. What's Paul talking about? He's not talking about the inheritance that we have. He's already, he's already confirmed that. He's saying that, that we are the inheritance of God. Huge. That, that God has chosen for himself an inheritance and that is the people of God. Those in whom he is redeemed. Those in whom he is saved. Those in whom he is called out. That is his inheritance. And that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, just consider that for a moment. You know, if you're ever thinking, you know, am I worthy enough to come before him? Am I right to come before him? The Bible paints a very clear picture that we have an inheritance in him and we are his inheritance. That's the way he views us. That's the, the honour, the worth in which he puts on us. And friends, this is, a, this is a good basis in which we can pray. This is a good basis in which we can come before him. And Paul says, I want you to know this deeply. 
I want you to know this deeply. I want this to be right in the core of your very being, that you're accepted, you're known by him. This is your position. Not that you might have a puffed up view of yourself, but with a sober heart, you can know the value and honour that God has put on you as you approach him. Finally, let's read verse 19 to the end. This is the third thing that uh, Paul wants the church to know as he, um, as he prays. And, and this is kind of a bit of a crescendo, if you like. He kind of gives us this and then goes big. So verse 19, he says this. Uh, so remember, I'm praying that you might know. And then verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Friends, the final thing that Paul wants us to know is the fullness of his power. The fullness of his power. Paul says, look, you, you can't measure it. There's no, there's no symbol you can put next to it. There's no way in which you can say it's, you know, kilojoules or whatever the, the thing is. It's immeasurable. But he says, but it's like this. It's the same power that breathes life into a dead Jesus. It's the same power that de defeated death. It's the same power that not, didn't finish there. It exalted him to the highest place. Above all rulers and authorities and everything else. Everything else is beneath him. Nothing is beyond him. It's the same power that has done that. That has raised him to that point. It's the same power that is at work amongst us as a church family. Above all rulers and authorities. Everything is subject to him. Isn't that huge? He says, I want you to know that power. Know that power in your life. Know that power in your church. Huge, isn't it? And, and I, often I found myself praying this for us as a church. On a Sunday morning, we, we gather to pray, and I often think, oh, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead at work amongst us. As a bit of a throwaway thing, you think, well, where's the fireworks when that happens? Where's the whiz-bang and stuff that, that comes with that? But I think Paul helps us here. He continues. Our Bibles break this up, but he continues as he talking in chapter 2, which Phil Bowyer will take us deeper into next week, but he says, this is the same power that has rescued us, that has taken us from death to life, that has seated us with Christ, that has allowed us to walk in freedom from sin. He describes it as the cravings of the flesh. It's the same power that allows us to defeat those cravings. It's the same power that, that defeats the sin in our life. This is the power at work amongst us. He doesn't want us to limp along in life. He wants us to know this power at work amongst us. Know this church family, he says. This type of power. This uh, is the power that leads to living transformed lives. Power to, to break into things that have maybe held us back previously. Rachel talked about the, the things that hold us back in that verse in Hebrews. This is the power that allows us to defeat those things as we rest in him, as we recognise his power at work amongst us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Wonderful, isn't it? Paul is praying, church family, know this. Know these things. Be convinced of these. You don't need to buckle under the weight of the challenges that you face. 
You don't need to search, scraping around for another source of power. You know, where am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? He says, come to Jesus. The same power that raised him from the dead is at work amongst you. And friends, we, we want to be confident in that, don't we, as a church family? We, we want to recognise the same as the Ephesians as they were receiving this prayer. We want to have this prayer ourselves, don't we? That we'll be those who know him deeper, know his power at work amongst us. I wonder if I can finish maybe by just praying some of these things for us. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And if we can just, as we finish off, maybe there's something in this prayer of Paul's that you want to claim for yourself. Maybe there's something, as, as we've been reading through, you think, do you know what, actually, I'm a bit rose-ed at the moment, I need to come near. Maybe you're thinking, do you know what, actually, I've heard what other people speak of, of God, and I want that for me, I want to draw near to him. Well, he's faithful. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Or maybe you're thinking, actually, I've just been stumbling over this same thing, I need a sense of his power in my life. I need to know a fresh sense of hope, maybe. Whatever it is, I'm going to pray for us in a moment around... Uh, these verses, and let's just allow God to, uh, to, to work amongst us as we respond to him. Maybe, maybe you'll just jump up on your feet if you're able to, and, we'll, and I'll pray. And you claim what is yours in this prayer. Father, we thank you that we don't need to charm your attention or, or try and convince you your word is very clear that you dwell amongst your people as we gather like this. And so, Father, we want to pray that you'd help us this morning, that we would be those who deeply, deeply, deeply know a sense of your closeness, a sense of oneness with you, that you have won for us. What a wonderful saviour. Father, we want to be a community that reflects that. People take note, they've been with Jesus. Father, we want to pray any barrier that might stand in the way, any kind of distance that we might feel. Father, would you remove now in your precious name? Father, we ask it. We echo Paul's prayer and say, would you do this, Lord? Father, we want to pray for the hopeless or those with damaged hope. Father, I want to pray for a, a fresh knowledge of the eternal security that comes from knowing you. Father, may we be strengthened afresh in the promises of you. Father, you don't disappoint. You don't, you don't bring us to shame. That's, in, that's impossible. Father, we want to grip hold of this together. We want to pray, Father, this morning that you'd bring hope. We would know hope by your Spirit. Father, we want to pray that we would freshly know the, the way in which you see us, the value that you put on us, that we don't need to... We can boldly approach your throne. That's what your word said. We can boldly approach your throne because of what you have done for us. Not, not because we're special in anything that we've achieved ourselves, but because you have your victory and we've been caught up in your inheritance. What a wonderful king. And finally, Father, I want to pray. May the power, the same power that raised Jesus to life and exalted him, may that continue to turn hearts towards you. May that continue to bring gospel transformation, not just uh, in the settings on Sunday, but Father, would we know this all week? Gospel transformation, where we choose you over other things. Father, that's the power of God at work. We pray, Father, that that would grow in our hearts. May the death-defeating, Christ-exalting spirit come and work amongst us now. Today and in the week ahead, we pray. Father, we 
proclaim these things. Your final verse says that Jesus, your head over everything for the church, which is your body. What a wonderful connection that you have with us as a, as a body, an expression of your body. We thank you that we don't pray to someone who's unconnected. We pray to the head and we lack nothing. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.